0: name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is a joy to be back with you all here. Uh, My wife sends her love and greetings. Uh, She's sad that she's not here, but she's happy she's with the grandchildren. And so she's babysitting and has a chance to have all the grandkids for herself for a week and I think when I get to join her next week, she'll be ready to have a break. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it's a joy. Grandkids are a joy. They are wonderful. Well, I have just returned from the Provincial Assembly, which is the national gathering of all of the bishops, clergy, and uh, representatives and lay representatives from throughout the Anglican Church in North America. Uh, it was a phenomenal gathering. Uh, we're a relatively modest bunch. Uh, we're only about a uh, 1038 parishes i think it is right now and yet we're having global impact and so it was interesting to see all of the archbishops and bishops from throughout the anglican communion from asia south america from africa from uh, all over the world that were there to be part of our gathering and two of the significant things that happened one is we now have a prayer book and so we praise god for that Uh, For 10 years, they've been working very diligently, and this is an incredible work of worship and prayer and scholarship, and it's going to be a blessing. Different provinces from throughout the Anglican Communion are already asking for copies of that, along with the catechism, which (laughs) we have produced. And there's even more coming with the catechism. They're They're working on now a children's catechism which I'm very excited about, that parents can use with their kids, or grandparents can use with their grandkids. And so that's really uh, exciting. We also were celebrating the fact that our Archbishop Foley, who is the Archbishop, our uh, head of the Anglican Church in North America, uh, was officially elected as the uh, head of the GAFCON movement within the Anglican Communion, And the GAFCON movement comprises about 80% of the world's Anglicans. And think about this. Who did they ask to be the head of the movement? Our Archbishop from the Anglican Church in North America. And so when people say, are we truly Anglicans? The answer is absolutely. We have a prayer book. We have a catechism. We have an Archbishop who's been elected by all the other Archbishops to represent them. And so God is just doing amazing, amazing things. And so we have much, much to be thankful for. And so we want to be praying for the Anglican Church in North America. We want to pray especially for Archbishop Foley. Uh, Archbishop Foley is not only the bishop of the Diocese of the South, he's the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America, and now he's the presiding bishop of the whole Gafcon movement worldwide. And so we really do need to be praying for him, especially, (coughs) excuse me, that he gets some rest. You know, he's got three incredibly impossible jobs, but his leadership is being recognized worldwide. And so I am excited about what God is doing, and I am just privileged to be a part of it in some small way. And so what you are doing here at Christ Church is more important than you know because you help strengthen the ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Great Lakes and we help the Anglican Church in North America which is now being looked at for global leadership throughout the Anglican com- Communion worldwide so the little things that you do day to day here in Christ Church in your own walk of discipleship has global implications now you might not have thought about it that way but that's true and The foundation for this global expectation is what's talked about in the gospel this morning where Jesus looks at Peter and say, who do people say that I am? Some John the Baptist, you know, some Elijah. But then Jesus looks at Peter and says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds by saying, you are the Christ of God. You are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. This is the foundation stone for the life of discipleship and the life of faith. The thing that's exciting about this is if you read the whole of the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that you will discover is this is the decisive, pivotal turning point in the Gospel. Because prior to this, Jesus is speaking about who he is as the Son of God. But when Peter and the twelve begin to place their faith in him personally, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, it's on this rock, on this confession of faith, that I will build my church. And so immediately he begins talking about the cross. And Jesus begins to talk with them that he will have to go and embrace the cross. And then he turns to them and he looks them in the eye and he says if anyone will follow me you too will have to do what take up your cross daily to follow me and so Jesus is laying out then the life of discipleship and the cost that it will make on the lives of those who follow Jesus now what Jesus is doing is he's laying out the call that we have to be Christ excuse me to be cross bearers that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to take up our crosses how often? Daily Daily to follow him. And so he's saying, first of all, the gospel isn't just about what happens to you when you die by and by. But it's how you live your life now, day by day, as you learn to take up the cross and make a choice for me to follow me every day that you live. Now this was presenting the disciples with a a moment of decision. Because if we were to put this in modern imagery, we could say that one of the images that is very prone to the American culture, that's very dominant in our culture, is being a ladder climber, right? We want to climb the ladder of success. And so as we think about getting ahead in life and being well thought of and being successful, we all carry in our minds this image of climbing the ladder of success. And as we think about that, there's images that come into our mind. You know, what's the kind of life, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to climb the ladder, what's what's my life going to look like? You know, what kind of income am I shooting for? What kind of house do I want to live in? You know, what are, what are the things that I want to be able to just uh, be known for as people think of me? And We begin to have this ladder of success, climbing the ladder, put all kinds of images in our mind. But Jesus looks at the twelve and immediately confronts them with a different image. And rather than being a ladder climber, he calls them and us to be cross-bearers. Cross-bearers. Jesus does not call us to simply pull our faith in him and then ask us to invite him into our dreams. But rather he's saying this is a moment of decision where we place all of our dreams in his hands and we now follow Jesus into his dreams, his purpose, his calling, that our lives are not our own. Our lives now belong to Christ. I love it in Matthew. He says, those who want to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases this in the Message Bible. And I love it because Peter's just made his profession of faith, right? You know, Jesus has responded positively to Peter. You can imagine Peter saying, (laughs) right, you know. But then Eugene Peterson goes on and says, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. (laughs) Now that they've made the confession of faith, they've taken that decisive point of opening their lives to Christ, placing their faith in him. Jesus now gets to work on them and begins to lay out what that's going to mean. And he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Jesus said, follow me. I am in the driver's seat. Notice he didn't say, invite me into your dreams and ambitions. He said, go with me in mine. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth through us as it is in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. It's the first thing he wants us to begin to pray is that we would be people through whom Jesus could manifest the life of the kingdom of God here on earth and begin to give testimony to God's mercy and grace. If we follow Jesus, our dreams and aspirations will be different from those of our culture. If we're going to be a cross-bearer, our dreams and aspirations are different than being a ladder climber. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, makes this incredible statement. He says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And the word urge or beseech literally means to beg. Paul is saying, I beg you, sisters and brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice to God. And this is a word of grace. He's saying, I don't want you to miss out on all the good things that God has for you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus is not calling us into denial on one level but he's opening us up to a life that's even bigger and broader and deeper and richer than anything we'd ever conceived of because we've taken that step into the life of his kingdom. How can we grab hold of God's best for our lives? Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. And this sounds harsh until we remember God's mercy to us. Until we remember, before Jesus started talking to the disciples about the cross, what did he do? He told them that, they, that he was going to embrace the cross first. I came across this little piece that really struck me about the cross. And it says, consider, because Jesus was filled with horror and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are filled with wonder and cry, My God, my God, why have you accepted me? Because Jesus cried from the cross, Father, forgive. The taunts we hurled at him on the cross are transformed into praise for his generous mercy. Because Jesus said, I thirst, we can drink from the fountain of living water and never thirst again. Because Jesus said, woman, behold your son, and felt the pain of separation from his earthly family, we can experience the presence of being united with a heavenly family. Because Jesus cried, It is finished. We can begin a new life. Because Jesus committed his spirit into the Father's hands, God commits his spirit, sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts. Because of this, why wouldn't we want, To embrace the cross and offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And that word, to present, is a term used in temple worship. And it's in the tense where it's meaning once for all. Make sure that this is a settled decision in your heart and mind. That you're offering yourself, your body, your life to Jesus once and for all. It's determinative. Everything else that you do in your life will be based on this decision that you make. Well, why does he ask us to offer our bodies? Well, I believe it's because he wants us to realize again that the gospel isn't just about life after death by and by when we die. But it's about how we live in our bodies day by day. And so it isn't about the next life just, but it's about how we live this life now. Paul is reminding us that for a disciple, sacrificial living is to merge with the traffic of everyday living. Well, how can we live this way? I can imagine if I was Peter and I was one of those 12 and Jesus begins talking about the cross and we've just made this commitment and my goodness, what's this going to mean? How are we going to live this way? It's so contrary to what we're used to, to what we know. How do we do this? And then Jesus begins to talk about something else. And he begins to say to them, wait, wait, don't get excited. You still lack something. There's still something missing that's absolutely essential if you're going to walk the way of the cross and enter into that fullness of abundant life that I have for you. And he says, wait until the Father sends the promise from on high. And what is that promise? The Holy Spirit. And that's what we just celebrated on Pentecost. He said, I don't want you rushing out in your own strength and in your own mind and your own plans to do the work of my kingdom. I want you to wait until you've received the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is really incredibly important. We have to wait for God to breathe his spirit into us. And life, we are told in the Bible, is found in the breath of God. And so, again, we had that image of being a ladder climber or a cross bearer. Another image that we could look at is often in life we're like a speedboat. You know, we turn on the ignition, we gun the engine, and we zip out into the lake and go where we want to go. But what Jesus is saying with the life of the Spirit is rather than being a speedboat, we need to be a sailboat. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill the sails, to guide where the boat's going to go, how the boat's going to turn how the boat is going to navigate the waters of life. When we think we're a sailboat, what we understand is we are created to move in accordance with God's Holy Spirit. And this is a wake-up call because if we're going to be disciples, the question that Jesus is confronting us with is what are you working so hard to do in your life? What is it that you're working so hard to do in your life? Are you seeking to a ladder climber, or are you seeking to be a cross-bearer? We need to stop right now and begin to take a look at that. Well, how can we begin to focus on taking this step of faith to be a cross-bearer? Well, I had a friend of mine who was discipling me, and he said, Ron, one of the most helpful things I've learned in the Christian life is to live according to the one-year rule. I said, what's that? And he says, I sit down, and from time to time I ask myself, if I had one year to live, what is it that I would want to make sure that I got done? You know, what is it that I need to attend to if I had a year to live? Who is it that I need to reach out to? Who is it that I need to be reconciled with? Is there someone that I need to bless and tell them that I love them? Is there something important that I need to do for the sake of Christ and his kingdom? Because suddenly what happens when you begin to consider that one-year rule, other things begin to surface that are more important than the good things we may be pursuing. One of the things I'm about to do this next week is I'm flying out to California to be with my two daughters. About three weeks ago, I flew to Seattle to be with my two sons. And when my kids were little... My wife and I, we had four kids, four and under. We had three in diapers at the same time. You know, when you get that many, they start out flanking you, you know. (laughs) And so we were, wife Patty and I were saying, well, how can we relate to our kids one-on-one so that they're not just dealing with a crowd all the time? And so we decided to date our kids. And so throughout their life, all the way into college, uh, Patty and I would have special date times uh, where we would date our kids And occasionally we would have adventures where we would go away for a weekend and do something special. I remember taking our two daughters when they were little and we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and so we went to Mammoth Cave and we slept in a tent. And we made cooked hot dogs over a fire and roasted marshmallows. And then we went in the cave and they turned out all the lights and I put my arms around the girls and they saw they saw total darkness for the first time. And then we went for a boat ride down the river. And I was praying the other day, one-year rule, and it suddenly occurred to me that I hadn't done this with my kids for 20 years. But when we get together as family, this is one of the things they talk about all the time. And so I took my boys, uh, I called them up, and said, we need to go on an adventure, and they immediately perked up. And they said, okay, Dad, you come out here, and we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do. So we went to Vancouver in British <laughs> Columbia. They lived in Seattle. We just had a wonderful weekend. Well, my daughters, I was hoping to have my daughters to, you know, do it with them in six months. Well, they heard about it, and they immediately called me and said, Well, Dad, what about us? <laughs> so three weeks later, I'm now heading back to California to make sure I have this important time with my daughters. And we're going to go up the California coast. We've rented a motel place where it's right on the ocean. Uh, sometimes to go eat some good seafood, but just to spend time together and have some fun together and build those memories together. And, you know, it, it, these are some of the important things that when we take time to live by this one-year rule, that really is so important. Well, another thing that's important is to recognize that if you know Jesus, then Jesus has called you. He is called on your life. It's not just those that wear the funny collar that are called. But we're all called. And when we realize that, then we realize that we're to live our life for God's purposes. And so God has an eternal purpose. He has some special purpose for each and every one of our lives, some way He wants to use us specifically. There was a guy in my church in California named Ralph. And uh, one of the things that I was doing as I was praying and I was trying to say, Lord, how do I reach the men in my congregation? Uh, Many of them were faithful churchgoers, but hadn't yet taken that step of personally committing themselves to Jesus. And so I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And so I began to pray, and being the spiritual giant that I am, God gave me this incredible vision of what I was supposed to do. And he told me, play golf. (laughs) And I said, Lord, what? He said, I want you to play golf but Lord, I've never played. I don't know how to play golf. So I prayed, and I said, okay, Lord, if that's true. I took 80, $90 dollars and went down to the local par 3 course and took some lessons, and he said, this little ball you put on the ground, and there's this club, and you hold it this way, and that's how you swing. And then I began to take the men in the congregation, and I said, I'm just learning how to play. What would you like to play on the par 3 course with me? And what I discovered is you can have incredible time in conversations when you're looking for lost golf balls. (laughs) And as we went through and I got to know the guys and we began to build relationships, God, through his grace, drew many of those men to himself, and they became disciples of Jesus. Well, Ralph was one of these guys. And uh, Ralph was the senior national senior vice president of one of the largest banking corporations in America. And we were in a discipleship group that met every week. And after we'd been meeting for about a year, Ralph came in one day and he looked at me. And he said, I've just realized something terrible. And I said, what is it? And he said, I've just realized that the people in my office are terrified. Supposed to be a Christian. And Ralph was a hard driving type A, personality A type businessman who was incredibly successful but had no mercy with his employees or with his competitors. And he said, Something's wrong. And what Ralph began to realize is that he had allowed the world, the business world, to squeeze him into its mold, to do the things he had to do to gain success, which he did very effectively. But now that he knew Jesus, he knew that he needed to live a different way. And so I said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, Ralph, I don't either. But why don't we pray? I will pray for you every day. And you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in some way. And we'll get together next week and let's see what God says. And so Ralph said, okay, I can do that. And so Ralph went and prayed. I prayed for him. The next week he came together. And I said, Ralph, what did God say to you? Because, you know, God does speak to his people. Right? You know, he does. And Ralph said, the only thing that's been going through my mind is we've been studying in the book of Genesis about Abraham. And Abraham in his life was constantly building altars to the Lord wherever he went. And I don't know what it is, but I think God has something about an altar that I'm supposed to do. And I said, well, what does that mean to you? And he says, I don't know. He says, what do you think it means? And I said, I don't know. Because he didn't need a word from me. He needed a word from God. So we prayed. And I said, let's pray another week. Let's wait until the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And Ralph came back the next week. And he said, I think what God wants me to do is to turn my desk in my office into an altar. That my desk could be a place Whereas I interact with people, somehow God could work through me to manifest his presence for the blessing of the people I work with. I said, wow, great. How are you going to do that? I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, now that you've got your altar, I think what you have to do is to present your body as a living sacrifice at that altar, and maybe go into work even earlier than you go in to work. And ask the Lord, Lord, how am I supposed to bless my people today? Who do you want me to bless? How do you want me to bless them? So that when I interact with people, I have a sense of Your presence. And so He began to do that. And the, over the last years in His cor- in the corporation. Uh, one of the things I can tell you is whenever I would go up and visit with Ralph or we'd go out to lunch or something, I would have employees come to me and they would say the things that Ralph had been doing for them to help them. And when he retired from the corporation, he asked me to come and be present at the retirement dinner. And there was testimony after testimony after testimony, not just to his business acumen, but from the employees as to how Ralph was there to help them in a family situation how he supported them, how he had helped change their lives in a positive way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holding it acceptable to God, and allow the kingdom to shape your life. Well, it gets even better, because when Ralph retired from his corporation job, he moved to Arizona. I was deeply sad to be losing my brother uh, in one way, and so he moved away to Arizona. And as he was living in Arizona, uh, the place where he lived had lots of farms. And he noticed the poverty in which a lot of the migrant farm workers lived. And using all of his business acumen and his financial skills, he developed a whole number of housing areas for migrant farm workers and their families so they could live in decent conditions. And I went, Ralph and I talked about this. I just sit there smiling. That's what God does. You know, the little things that we do, we don't realize that they are important until God begins to grab hold of us, and we realize that we have to make a decision. Are we going to be ladder climbers, or are we going to be cross bearers? I want to be like Ralph in my life. I want my kids to look at me and know that they're important in my life. I want them to know and experience God's love for me, through me, in a personal way for them. That they're so important, I'm going to fly all the way across the country just to spend a weekend with them. And we're going to have a ball, and it's going to be fun. And uh, my prayer is that we as a congregation here at Christ Church, that the Diocese of the Great Lakes would be filled with people who have made the decision to be cross bearers. So that as we step out in faith, as we listen for the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we're obedient to do the things that God tells us to do, that we discover the abundant life that Jesus has not only for us, but for all people. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lift us and guide us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.